Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Failure Friday where we get to talk about failure and how it's influenced us in our personal lives, our professional lives, and how it's propelled us forward no matter what we're doing. Failure is a part of life, we don't talk about it enough, and the ability that it has to educate each other and other people that are watching, a lot of times complete strangers, is powerful. And that's what this podcast is about. Today we have Gary Stewart. Gary Stewart is a certified public accountant and financial coach. He is the founder and owner of Stewart Solutions. His mission is to empower others because everybody deserves financial freedom. Gary, that is a very vague bio. I would say it's vanilla, right? It's PG-13. Give us some more background about who you are. Uh, yeah, so I mean, pretty much, you know, a normal guy. Um, so I am a CPA, like you said, and financial coach, but, um, you know, I love golfing. I like craft beers. I like traveling the world, uh, spending time with my family, but on a professional level, like my jam is really helping people pay off debt and take control of their money and really just go after their financial freedom, whether that's time or money. It's interesting because I think CPAs get a bad rep for being really boring, but to be a financial coach, you have to have, I don't want to say extroverted, but you have to have extroverted tendencies, right? You have to be able to talk to people. You have to have the skill of pulling them out of their shell and getting them to fillet themselves open like a fish for you so you can help them. So those are two polarizing fields that you somehow managed to marry. Uh, which one did you go into first and how did you kind of crawl your way in to the other aspect of it? Yeah, so um, I actually, um, I went to college to be a Spanish teacher. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and then I like googled how much Spanish teachers make, and I was like, all right, well, I think I'm gonna change my major. Okay, Gary, it took you till college to realize how much Spanish teachers teachers make. Listen, I was I was young and naive. I didn't I didn't know. Um, so freshman year, I switched my major to forensic accounting because I was gonna work for the FBI and like knock down all these white collar criminals. Um, so I went to school for forensic accounting and my plan was to go to the FBI, be a white collar crime, like fraud investigator. And then, um, you know, 2012-ish, I was like, you know what? Like, I think I'm gonna get my CPA instead. And I ended up, you know, getting my CPA license and my career was flourishing. I was moving up the ladder pretty quickly in one of the big four accounting firms. And, I was going through all these like personal financial struggles, right? It's like you get these big bonuses and you know, like it's, it's really fun. You're going out to happy hours. The company's whining and dining you and you're like, all right, I'm like living the American dream. But like in the back of your mind, you're like, I don't know, I have like a lot of like student loan debt and credit card debt and all these vehicles and things. But I just kind of felt like funny because I felt like a fraud myself. Um, Imposter syndrome a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then when I met my wife is when we really like, when we merged our finances and it was like, okay, I was in a bad spot and it was like, cool, whatever. Like I was like a typical <laughs> young professional. But then when we got married, it was like, well, she was too. And then it's like, we had like this huge mess. Oh, and really? So you yes. both were financial fuck ups. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> So it's like we, when we got married, it was like, okay, this was like, individually, I was like, you know, fucked up. And I was like, it's fine, I'll, I'll figure it out. But then when we got married, it was like, well, we're both like, now it's like uber bad. Um, so that's when I kind of found coaching as a side hustle. And I was like, look, I'll like teach people some of these foundational concepts that I'm learning anyway to help my own self. And I'll use that income to speed up my progress. But then I absolutely fell in love with it and just like going through my own transformation, helping other people. And I was like, wow, this is like, I guess not as common sense as it may seem. And then I turned it into a full blown business. Did you 
confide in people as you were bringing them on? Like, hey, like I'm going through this while you're going through it. Or is that not something that you disclose initially? No, I, I would say like the cornerstone of my coaching practice was very much like open and honest and very transparent with people like where I was. And I would say like when I first started out, coaching someone else that was debt free while I still had a ton of debt was a little nerve wracking. And I felt like almost like you said, imposter syndrome. But then um, I quickly realized as I coached more successful and successful people that it's like, well, no, they have blind spots too. And, um, you know, they can benefit from this just like, you know, anyone that is in debt. So um, it's a really cool profession. I really like that. Well, it makes you more relatable at the same time. Like I've gotten to a point where I only want to work with people that are on the same financial journey as me. I want to work with people who are you know, finding other ways of passive income, starting businesses. Those are the people I get the most enjoyment out of because the things I'm researching, I get to share with them, right? Yeah. I'm not really a good fit for the person who's just trying to pull money from the assets they've accumulated over the last 50 years. Like I want the person trying to make moves so we can make moves together. And it sounds like that's kind of the, the cornerstone, as you put it, of your business as well. So that's, that's dope. Um, but this podcast is about failure. So I imagine <laughs> you're going to kind of dive a little deeper into some of those financial struggles. So let's go straight into it. What is the failure you would like to discuss and use to help other people? Yeah. So uh, like I said, when we got married, um, I was trying to merge our finances and it was like a complete disaster. I was like, this is like, I don't know. Like the honeymoon's over, like, are we gonna survive this marriage? Or like, are we gonna get divorced in like the first six months? Um, <laughs> but basically I was really struggling, not the fact that we had to like merge our finances. I was cool with that. I was like, you know, I wasn't like, oh, it's my money, that's your money, like, you know, whatever. Um, like, you know, you're married, you're a team, you gotta work together and merge your money. But the, the thing that was really, struggling was it almost felt like there was too many chefs in the kitchen right like all of our money is going in one checking account and then it's like all right we got paid cool like now we have all this money and and then like two weeks later we're like straight from by it's like what is going on and then um you know i i took an inventory of all of our bills and debts and things and i mean we were paying like an astronomical number out just in like monthly minimum payments. I was like, okay, this, like, I, I'm not gonna say I'm like super smart, right? Cause like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not like a genius, but it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that, um, you know, there's only so much income to go around. And we were kind of using credit cards to float our money to make ends meet. And if you take them out of the equation, you quickly realize like, oh crap, we're actually living paycheck to paycheck. And so we took inventory of the debt and it accumulated to $658,000 of wow. non-mortgage debt. So how did, okay. It wait, wasn't like, how, no, know, it sounds Gary, crazy. It sounds no. crazy. We're going to pause right there. Cause okay. So I have notes in front of me of like, cause I have people before they come on like, so they, there's no like surprises, right? Like, you know, genu generally how the conversation is going to go. I thought this was a typo. Cause like your phone uh, number was off by one digit. So I'm like, okay, well he meant to put like 65 or maybe he meant to put 85 or maybe it's 68 or maybe it's 80, but it, it says 658K. Yeah, $658,000 of non-mortgage debt. And you want to talk about how like stress and anxiety? Well, I would say it was relatively easy <laughs> um, because <laughs> like, so I had, I don't know, maybe a hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt. Okay. She went to the same school, but paid out of state tuition. So she had, you know, maybe 150 or something. And then this, I mean, this is the bad part. We had like 218,000 just in credit card debt, um, which that is, that's the bad part, right? Um, but we had two vehicle loans. We had a swimming pool loan, a line of credit on our home that we bought before you get married. Cause like, you gotta get buy a house before you get married or like, are you married? Yeah. Um, 
and we yeah everything just like accumulated to 658k i like literally almost fell off my chair when we did our like that snowball and i looked at her i was like look like this is really bad <laughs> and um like i kind of shielded her from everything because i was like i'm the man i gotta like take care of this i'm a cpa blah 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 like i'll leave the finances to me you just like go do your thing but you know, it was like a house of cards. Like you can only hide that for so long. Um, so we got on the same page. Cause I was like, look, we got to pay this off. Like, otherwise like we're on the like, we're screwed. Like we're only like, <laughs> we got married at like 24, 25. I was like, like, if this is how we're gonna start our lives together. Like this is not great. Um, so I looked at it, I was like, look, we make decent money. Like I know like, so we live in Washington DC area. So it's kind of expensive um like cost of living wise but i was like we make good money like we can just type we'll chip away at it and like we'll be done in like i think i said like five or six years or something like not bad actually that's kind of joking kind of not joking because like i think we could do it um and then actually six years later we paid it all off wow yeah Damn, that's great. That's awesome. Congratulations. Like, I was not expecting you to say that. I don't even think that's Yeah, so... Name. I don't think I put yeah, it in Yeah, yeah. But... It says... But, um... Oh, damn. Wow. Yeah, I think it was like five and a half or six years. But, um... Yeah, the last bet we paid off was our swimming pool. And, like, it happened to be October. So, I was like... It's kind of warm here. Not, like, you know, West Coast warm. But I was like... I'm not closing the pool because I want to pay it off and dive in it. <laughs> so Did you do it? when I pushed that final button, we like popped champagne and jumped in the pool and it was pretty, pretty awesome. I'm proud of you. I just met you and I'm proud of you. That's a lot of debt to pay off. So that's wow. like our, our story of like, you know, we were financially fucked as you said. Um, and like, to be honest, like, it really wears on your mental health when you have that much crippling debt weighing on you. Oh, I um, and now like, I'm probably like the abnormal American, maybe, I don't, maybe not, but like, I can't even, like, we don't have any credit cards just cause like, it's kind of like know yourself, right? What are your tendencies? So we just made the decision, like we're done with credit cards, like just cash and debit. Cause I don't want to go back to that, that, uh, lifestyle so I was like whatever like we'll, like I don't care about the points or cash back like we'll just be done <laughs> well that, that's because you were traumatized I would say <laughs> that, I mean that's a traumatic experience so <laughs> yeah. I have a question to, to rewind a little bit were these conversations that you weren't having before you guys got married did you wait to have a lot of these harder like let me see let me see yours and you can see mine type conversations financially until after marriage we okay so we definitely did not have like premarital financial counseling and like if there's anyone listening like do it because i think it's totally Absolutely. worth it um i work with a lot of people that are engaged and they want to like um you know get a step up above uh you know the step ahead of their marriage and work together um so we did not do that i wish we had but we didn't um and we never, we never really talked about it. It was one of those things that's like, I knew she had student loans, she knew I had did, but like, we didn't really know what we were getting into. Yeah, I think I take for granted how well that just happened to work out for AJ and I, is that I, I managed AJ's finances before we were engaged. So like, I kind of knew the, the pros and the cons going into it, like for example, before we got married, I knew AJ's credit score was 415. I knew that that was something that we were gonna have to strategically attack starting then and probably for a while going into our marriage because buying a house, I mean, that's, our rate was, and that this is when rates were low, our rate the, for, for the first home we bought was like 8% because I didn't have the income at the time to justify the house we were gonna buy, so we had to use his income, but at the same time, like his credit score's 415. So, and this is when yeah. everyone else's rates, it was like 2.7. And it was just, um, 
So I mean, I take for granted that the how po like how that was beneficial for us to have that conversation. And now that I have people coming in my office, a lot of Dave Ramsey people who are young couples just getting together, I'm realizing how common it is that people don't talk about this shit. <laughs> I know. And they really should. I mean, there's nothing, it's it's kind of like, it has a negative stigma or like maybe, well, honestly, what it is, is they're probably embarrassed. Why? Okay, yeah. I mean, they're gonna find I, out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but the really cool thing is like, not only did I use my own like personal struggles and stuff to launch my own coaching business, but I developed like a cash flow framework and I'm writing a book on it right now and I'm gonna oh, release cool. it. Uh, I don't know how long like the publishing thing is gonna take, but I'm, I'm gonna guess like sometime in early 24. A couple months, few months, depends on the, the publishing. What's the book called? It's gonna be called Debt First. So it is a, it's a cash flow framework that will help you structure your budget with your bank accounts to eliminate your debt so then you can have financial freedom and start building wealth okay so when you say structure your bank accounts to match your budget give us an example with a typical budget okay well it really dives into like the psychology of humans and how they think and handle money and their behaviors so like Think of, um, I don't know, who's like George Washington, <laughs> like the <laughs> early president, like their dinner plates were like this big, right? Like little tiny, like probably the size of like our little saucer plates, like for appetizers. That was like the size of their dinner plates. Um, and then over time, those plates kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, but it was like, you know, your mom or somebody would probably tell you like, oh, like fill up your plate and clean it or whatever. I don't know if that's the saying, but um, basically humans are wired to consume what's in front of them. So the bigger the plate, the more food on the plate, the more calories you're consuming over time, Americans got fatter, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with money. If you have one checking account and all your money goes into that checking account, you're going to overspend because you have more money at your disposal. Or like credit cards are a good example. You have a big credit limit, right? So the framework is really like, um, there's a simple framework, which I'll just go through real quick. And then there's an advanced framework for like wealth building and stuff. Um, so the debt first framework would be like all your, um, whether it's self-employment income or personal or W2 income, it doesn't matter. But all your income, whether you're single or married, whatever, it would all, all go in one checking account labeled income. And then when you do your budget, you would, you know, do, I like zero based budgets. I don't know if you have so a preference, I. but I prefer zero based. Yeah. So when you do your zero based budget, you can, um, see on your budget, what is for bills and what is for like spending money. Right. Um, so you do your budget and you're like, okay, my bills total, I don't know, just easy math. Like say the income is 5,000. Say the bills total two thousand, or no? Let's say they total three thousand. All right. Mm -hmm. That's say. And then um, say you want to save like a thousand for that month, and uh, your spending money is a thousand. So you have a, a joint savings account where you would transfer the thousand based on the budget. You would transfer what I say three thousand to mm -hmm. the the joint or whatever the bills checking account. And then you would transfer a um, thousand to the spending checking account. So your debit card is only hooked to the small spending pot or plate. So it's got to get there in order for you yeah, to so, spend it. So you swipe out of that smaller plate or spending account. Um, and then and if you have debt, only. if you have debt goals, then you would have like a debt checking account and obviously like depending how quickly you want to get out of debt the bulk of that monthly budget would go to the debt checking account and you would pay your debt first so yeah i think that that's super important for people that lack discipline and i don't say that to be mean like i there's some people that need that structure because they i mean 
it's the psych like, like like you're talking about it's a psychology of money it takes some people years to get out of the i don't want to call it a broke mindset but the uh consuming mindset Consum yeah mindset. consuming yeah because we really do live in a culture and a lot of people haven't left the country but if you've spent a considerable amount of time in any other country other than america maybe besides like you know developed europe <laughs> it's really yeah. they don't consume like we consume it's still very different. Like if, like when I stayed, lived in Spain for a while, I mean, the amount of food you get is different. Um, the plates, like what you talked about, that was actually interesting because that, that was one of the first things I noticed is the plates are smaller there. Uh, the time they spend working is there. You don't see people Amazon, there's not Amazon trucks everywhere at any given hour constantly on the street or UPS or FedEx. Like they just consume differently and that's, the culture, I, I personally believe we, we live in the best country, but it's definitely very different and based on, like you said, consumption and spending money. And it's like, what drives that? I think it's um, probably a lack of contentment, but also like the comparison game. Like people are always trying to like one up someone else or like make their lives portrayed differently than it actually is. Like, you know, like Instagram or whatever is like, you don't want someone's page and it's like obviously that's only going to be the good photos and the good yeah. stuff um and i think I, I don't know i could be wrong but i feel like that probably drives to the consumerism for sure but everybody has that in other countries so like what's the excuse like every, every you know mexico spain all the other countries have access to social media it just doesn't affect them maybe it's just that the means aren't there really because we're a richer country but I, I don't, and that was the basis of, of beginning this podcast was I was struggling with it as someone who was owning a business and going through the, I mean, every business has struggles. There's different levels and challenges you have to accomplish to get to yeah. new levels. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to, but you have to, because you started this thing and you owe it to yourself and everybody that you're serving throughout the journey. Um, so I mean, you have to keep pushing forward, but it doesn't always uh, it doesn't it doesn't always feel like it's worth it in the long run. In your business, having yeah. this accomplishment, how long had you been coaching before you paid off all this debt? Um, Six years. Yes. Yeah, so we started in January of 2016 is when we started our uh, debt-free journey. And it was just shy of six years, but October, 2021 is when we officially became debt-free. Um, I started coaching in 2019. So I, I coached for like two years while I was still okay. paying off debt. Yeah. So when you did pay off debt, did you tell all of your clients? Yeah. <laughs> of course you did. I was like, you can't keep something that secret. Oh, I wear it like, a badge of honor like i have t-shirts that say like debt free and i'll like wear them to the gym oh, and people are just like look at me like what does that even mean i'm like it means i don't have any bills <laughs> like people genuinely don't even know what it means because they can't like they can't fathom a life without not having like a car payment or like any payments and it's like no this is very much possible for anybody you just have to change your mindset and get intentional and go after it it also pays to have your spouse on on the same oh yeah you, you cannot i would never have been able to do it without my wife jill like she was she on board from day one now like what <laughs> no. 25 year old woman wants to be like hey we're gonna do this thing called a budget and like we're not gonna go out to eat all the time anymore and like you were gonna have to like be more intentional with how we spend our money but i think what got her on board was um you know because we were both obviously in a really bad spot but once we started winning and she saw like oh like we just paid off like a couple of credit cards like in the first month i think you know it did take her probably i'm not even gonna lie it took her probably like to get fully like gung-ho about it like probably the first year and a half but oh, wow. we did not, I didn't let her give up and she didn't give up. So I think, you know, it's, it wasn't like we like crushed it and like we were this perfect 
power couple that like just blew through all this that it was a roller coaster for sure i don't think that's realistic either and that's important that's important to talk about like it's not a straight up journey it's not like you decided one day we're going to pay off this debt and it was just you know sunflowers and daisies from there there's going to be struggles there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be it's I don't want to compare it to an addiction, but you're going to have periods where you almost relapse with your spending. I see that, at least in my Happens practice. Happens all the time. Right. I see it all, all the time. And then they go like on a binge for a month. Yeah. I mean, I had, I'm not going to say any names, but like I had one client go through something traumatic and she was killing it for like the first six, seven months. And then she relapsed and like racked up like $10,000 of credit card debt. So it's emotional spending is, you know, a very real thing. And that's why, like, I usually just, I don't tell people what to do. It's like up to them. You know, if you want to use a credit card, by all means, go ahead. But um, if the temptation is there and it's accessible, and you know your spending habits or your emotional habits, chances are you might end up back in credit card debt, right? So for me personally, we just made the decision not to use it anymore. So piggybacking off that, let's get specific. What were some real things that helped you be successful, real players in your journey that people can use that are listening to this or watching this to help them if they're in the same type of situation that you are? Like, what budget app did you use? Did you guys have meetings? What type of technology did you use to assist you? Okay. This is probably going to shock you, but I used paper and pencil. (laughs) So, all you, like, Excel wizards out there that have, like, all these fancy spreadsheets, like... Wizardry. uh, You know, they're cool, but, like, you can make progress with paper and pencil. Um... You mentioned who, so my coworker turned me on to Dave Ramsey and, um, you know, now I'm actually like a Ramsey coach. So, uh, I'm affiliated with him, but I obviously own my own business. Um, so that gave me like a really good starting point. I read his book and it just like blew my mind. I was like, this is like so simple. It's almost too easy. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you just like you know, rank your debt and then pay it off like that and do a budget. And, you know, that that was really how I got started is I, I read his book um, in like 2014. And then in 2015, I did the FPU and my wife didn't do it because she's like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> I was like, whatever, well, I'll do it. And then I'll re- regurgitate the information to you. Um, but we made it fun. I think that's what really like helped us go the distance is like our budget meetings as you said um we would make them like charcuterie boards and like wine nights and like make it fun and like it doesn't have to be boring so you know you don't be afraid to like spice it up a little bit um you know budgeting's not like always that sexy so <laughs> wine and cheese and stuff makes it better um and then you know, if you're single, definitely get an accountability partner, whether that's someone in your circle or like a, a coach like myself or someone that you know that's a coach. It's so important. And I think my last piece of advice would be really know why you're doing it. Um, you know, our why changed a few different times because like halfway through it, we're not halfway, but like towards the end, we had our first child. And it's like that kind of threw fuel on the fire because we're like, oh shit, like now we have another human being and like yeah. we need to like clean this up quick because we're in charge of like another person. Um, That'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. So I think how, knowing why you're doing it, because then like, like when you want to quit or give up, if you think about why you're doing it, which for me was personal and financial freedom, right? Like I work. 10 or 15 hours a week. I have my own business. My wife's at home with the kids. And we're, we're just like, we're good, right? Like I have freedom with like wealth for me is like time, right? And money. So I don't need to have $50 million or whatever. If I make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year and I have tons of free time, 
to me, that's like my version of success. I think that's beautiful. I think that's most people's version of success. And again, I think, especially when we're younger, we get wrapped up in this, and me especially, like I'm speaking really to myself right now, it almost feels like if we're not busy, we're failing. But, cause like I'm the type of person where I can go on vacation and the first three days, like I'm good. Like I'm having a great time. But like that fourth or fifth day, I'm like checking my email more frequently. Like every time I'm sitting down, I'm checking my email. I'm like looking for things or excuses like, oh, sorry, I can't go on this excursion. I gotta work. But I would love to value time like you do. And I hope one day, God, I hope one day I can accomplish that. But that's amazing. So early on in your career that you can say that you've accomplished that. And you, do you still only have one child or have you added more spawns to your pet? <laughs> yeah, we have, we got more. Yeah, so we have a three-year-old, which was when we were in our in the midst of our financial transformation. And then now we have, she'll be nine months in a few days. Oh, wow, you have a fresh yeah, two, one. Two girls, yeah. <laughs> Two girls? Yeah, two girls, three, three years old and, and nine months old. And I don't know, I don't know who would want to have, I don't know how many kids you have, but I think I think we're good with two. Three just seems like, I, I don't know, like I would go crazy. <laughs> we have two, we have a boy and a girl. And I feel like that for me, that was like, this is perfect. Let's just call it quits here. Because I, I think with owning a business, it, again, for me, that's like my, um, I'll call it my third child, but like the child that, yeah, I mean, I love my kids more, but like that kid also, like if I put the work into my business, that kid doesn't talk back. It just, I mean, the kid, <laughs> I don't think I could, it would not be fair for me to have a third child to that child because I don't have the capacity yeah. to give it what it needs. But I think two is great. And you have a I think on, gap. I think, what you're saying is like totally right. Like, but like some people like don't get like owning your own business. Like if you actually have that entrepreneurial like spirit and like when it, when it's starting out, it's a drive. Like, you know, you're like, I was doing coaching sessions for happy hour, <laughs> like, which was at the time cool. Cause I was like, you know, I get to have fun and like I'm paying off my debt and like helping somebody it's cool. But then like I quickly was like, all right, this is like a hobby, not a business. Um, but now it's like, you, I don't know, you get like super jazzed up because you're right. It is like your baby and it's like you're, it's so much fun watching it like grow and you can basically do whatever you want. If you're like, oh, I think I'm going to launch like this different service offering or yeah, I'm gonna try this, and it's like, well, that didn't work. I'm gonna try this, and oh, well, that didn't work. Now I'm gonna try this. I mean, it's, it's just, fun. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's not fun all the time. So actually, at dinner, which I rushed home to be here for, <laughs> still late. Uh, we talked about this because because she's a business owner, and um, we talked about a thirds. So I have I have a life coach, and she was talking to me about this, but then I also saw this on Instagram. So like, I guess I pay for memes to be regurgitated back to me in a regurgitating or in a motivating fashion, but whatever, it makes sense and I appreciate it. A third, so if you're doing something challenging uh, or something technical, something that takes years to master and it's, there's constantly new challenges, there's a rule called thirds where you should really hate it or not like it a third of the time be okay with it a third of the time and then love it a third of the time. And if you're if you're remaining within those ratios, then you're on the right path. It's when you hate it more often or it feels really good more often. And that's when you have to kind of look at, all right, and I, am I becoming overworked or what do I need? Um, what do I need to reevaluate in my journey here to kind of get back on course? And that really sunk in for me because Lately, I've been going through a season of challenge, but I have to remember that I love what I do and I would probably still be doing it if I didn't make money doing it. And not everyone's meant to own a business. I feel like I say this every episode and that is okay because you're making it sound pretty amazing and it's not amazing all the time. No, it's not. It's not all. No, there's <laughs> that, like right now I'm in the middle of tax season. This is like probably my... Mm -hmm. 
my least favorite time of year. Um, oh. Not because I don't like taxes, but it's just like, it's a lot, right? Like um, doing a ton of people's returns and there's just a lot of back and forth and a lot of late nights and stuff. But, you know, that's what helps me afford the other eight months of the year, right? So it's, it's one of those things, but, um, yeah. And so I told you how much I love just like running a business and, and I, you know, I think my first year, so in 2019, I made, I didn't make any money cause I told you I was I'm doing it for happy hour. 2020, I made $4,000. 2021, I made like 12. And then in 2022, I hit six figures. Whoa. Because I, I amped it up a notch. But that helped me get so much more confident in how to grow a business that now I actually do business coaching. Wow, so, that's awesome. So I do personal coaching because that's like my passion, right? Like um, I love working with young professionals that have debt, they're stressed out, they're confused but they desire financial freedom. That's like my wheelhouse, right? Mm -hmm. um, but as a CPA, I, I always meet a lot of business owners because like tax season and bookkeeping and stuff. Um, so I was like, you know what? Like I, I did okay, like growing my business. So I launched a business coaching, like advisory type service. Um, and now I have like all these synergies across my business uh, with business coaching and bookkeeping and taxes and, and uh, personal coaching. So it's been, it's been really fun, like adding all these things. No, that's cool. I've, I'm learning more about business coaching because I've been reading into EOS entre entrepreneurial operating systems and, oh. um, operating that in my own. That's a really great, if you haven't looked into that, um, entrepreneurial operating system is essentially a process on how to build a business that's scalable. I'm still learning about it and implementing it in my own business. Who's the, who's the guy or girl? Who's the owner of that? Oh, let me look at my audible book. I've been doing a lot of Donald, Donald Miller. I like him. EOS. Entrepreneurial operating systems. EOS worldwide. Okay, like I'll have to check that out. Yeah, we should probably tag it. I, I'm in a BNI networking group, and several of the businesses that are much older than me and are super successful, because so I'm at a stage in my business where I'm, it's a rough season, right? The stock market is down, and the bulk of my business is based off of the value of people's accounts. So even if the stock market goes down, my workload might not change, but I'm making less. But I'm also at a, what's, been fascinating about the stock market because this is my first down real down market right I'm, okay. I'm young yeah. so you can read about it in books all you want but it, it's different when you're running a business and actually feeling it and what i found is you'll lose business because people that are not as financial financially literate they they need someone to blame so who's the who's the bobo the bobo doll they're going to blame the financial advisor. So you'll have a business outflow in our industry, but then you'll also have a massive inflow of people who are doing the same thing to their existing advisors. Well, I feel like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I think what the, and hopefully someone that maybe you're listening and you're not like super confident in investing. So hear what Kendall is saying about, you know, they get scared, they make a decision based off fear, and then they bail, mm -hmm. and then they lose money. Like, if you were at the amusement park, and you were going up the roller coaster, and then it does a nosedive, would you jump off the ride? Like, probably not, right? So That's actually just, a really great analogy. Just try telling it, that to someone who's emotionally unstable. <laughs> well, here's, here's what I tell to my to my wife because she doesn't understand how like any of the market stuff works and probably like 90 percent of america doesn't so no, i was like look yeah. it's okay. when the market's down let's just pretend everything at costco is on sale all right like there you go so that's how i explain it i 
there's a vastly different mindset between the middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, certainly people living in poverty and the wealthy. And the difference is millionaires and billionaires are made during recessionary periods. That's just the way the world works. There's people, and that's what increases the wealth gap is periods like this because the wealthy come in and they just see opportunity. So while people are selling, the middle class, lower class, that space is selling out of fear, you have the big dogs come in and buy up more shit because everything is on sale. And then when the market goes back up, well, who has market share? The same people that you're saying, capitalism sucks, Illuminati, those people that have the mindset when you're that when you're fear selling, they're coming in and buying everything. I mean, this is when you see private equity firms coming in, and right now, and especially in our area, you're seeing these big private equity firms coming in and buying all the dog parks and veterinarians' office that offices that popped up during COVID when people bought all these animals. Well, we saw an increase in dog parks and dog uh, boarding, and now yeah. those are businesses are starting starting to do poorly, and private equity firms. I mean. There, I have three dog park clients I own, and they do really well, but private equity firms are knocking on their door. So it's, and that's just an example, but it's how our world works. It doesn't matter who's president and we still have recessionary periods about every, yeah. between 10 to 15 years. We're freaking due for one guys. Um, well, and you know, you know, what would help the middle class or lower middle class or whatever we're going to call it um, is the reason that upper middle class or the wealthy can swoop in is because they have discretionary income and probably very little debt. So that's why I think becoming debt free is so important because that'll free up the cash in your budget to allow you to take those opportunities. Cause like, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, and even if you know it's the right thing to do, you're not gonna be able to do it, right? You Cause you're not gonna have the discretionary income. Exactly, exactly. Preaching to the choir, how, yeah. <laughs> how Gary, would you like people to reach out to you? What's the best channel to hit you up? Yeah, so I'm, my website is stewardsolutions-cpa.com. Um, no pressure, non-sales call. You can book your time with me there. I give my first hour just to get to know you, understand what's important to you, uh, your top goals. And it's really just a time to connect. And if it's a good fit, great. If not, you're definitely gonna leave with some value. Amen, that's what I like to do as well. I'm not a salesperson. If I can't help you, I'm definitely gonna give you to someone who is and it's refreshing to hear that you do the same thing. Yeah. It's all about, um, I don't know if you, if you take this mindset, but it's not affordability, right? Anybody can muster up some money to get help if they really want help. It's really about possibility, right? Like what's possible if we work together, what is your life like now? How would you like to be different? And if you make this investment and you get the results, is that worth it to you? That's like as simple as I, as I make it. And at the end of the day, they get the dignity of making the choice. I agree with that. I actually find myself almost, I had, a, I had a call the other day and he was like, I feel like you're trying to tell me not to work with you because I talked <laughs> to you got to do that. <laughs> well, because it's really important to me. I put a lot of effort and time in getting to know people, especially in the beginning of our partnership getting to yeah. know their finances. And I've found, and if you've been on a call with me, you've heard me say this, that when people come to me, it's like it's something on their to-do list. I gotta get my finances in order. I gotta hire a financial advisor. And they don't realize that this relationship is a give and take for like if the rest of our lives, if we're gonna be together, big, the idea it's is. It's a big commitment. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not this, I don't want to be a financial advisor for a client who's never gonna look at their account who's never going to ask questions, who only wants me to call them when something's wrong. I have quarterly meetings where I want you on the phone. I want you asking questions. Otherwise, it's, it's boring. Yeah, you're not like a robo-investor, right? Yeah, so if, if they're not down with that, that's not who I want to work with. But I, that, so 
for me, it's less about affordability. It's, are you ready to be in a relationship like this? Cause I don't want to use my resources, my customer service representatives chasing you down for a meeting when there's people that want to be in a partnership. And it sounds like you operate very similarly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think I was, so I was like, um, looking at your Instagram to try to get like the feel for, uh, your like personality and stuff. And one of the posts, while it was a funny meme, it actually like is a serious post. And it was like, sometimes you have to say no. So later you can say yes. And I mean, sometimes it's just not a good fit and you have to turn down the prospect because either it's not a good fit or they're not genuinely like ready for the transformation mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, whatever the reason is. Right. But, um, for any business owners out there, that's a, like, I love that post because oh. it's a very deep meaning, right? Because if you say yes to every opportunity that walks through the door, you're going to lose out on the ones that are going to be the best ones for you. And that's the beginning of building a niche. And I'll, I would say most people struggle with that in the beginning. I mean, I cringe. I cringe at the things that I did for people in the beginning of when I first started. Like, and those clients that I still have from when I first started, I had to have conversations with most of them once I got rocking and rolling. Like, hey, I know that I met with you on a Saturday at a shopping mall. That was a 45-minute drive for me. That's not going <laughs> to happen anymore. Or I know that I personally called you for to schedule your meetings. I have a, I have an admin now. Like, you're not going to talk to me <laughs> like every single like. When you call, you're not going to get me on the phone every single time because I'm doing shit for your accounts. Like, And looking back, I held resentment towards them, but it wasn't their fault. I set that expectation. Yeah. Boundaries is, that's like the <sighs> hardest thing to learn. Like, when we, like I, we all have those like battle wins, I feel like. Um, boundaries was like the big one. It took me the first couple of years to figure that out. Oh, yeah. And a lot of, if you... Learn nothing in your first starting a business. Set fair boundaries. You still need to work for the business because there's going to be someone else around the corner doing the exact same thing you do. You still have to be, there has to be an incentive to work with you and you have to be likable. But unrealistic, enforce boundaries that are fair and consistent in the beginning. I wish I could go back and do it because those conversations were hard to have, but that's a good tip. Yeah. I like, I like what you said too, cause I do the same thing. It's like expectation versus the agreement, right? Who you yeah. telling man who battle wounds, but <laughs> it's almost scary? like we've been through some gnarly stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Oh, I could, I could tell you stories for days. We'll have to connect offline, but thank you. Yeah, after tax thank season, you. we're going to have to do this again for sure. Yeah. Maybe with a couple more drinks, we'll have we'll have a, we'll have to bring Jill on and hear her side of the the debt payoff oh, story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if anybody has crippling amounts of debt, like you can absolutely do it. Just get serious about it and get intentional. Yeah, I mean, take it from him. That's the most debt I've seen. I have to say that is the most I've seen. So that's a uh, that's impressive. But thank you so much, Gary, for coming tonight. Thank you for being flexible with me. Um, we'll stay connected and we'll make sure to tag your Instagram. You have Facebook? Yeah, Facebook. It's, I don't remember the handles off the top of my head. But okay, I have, we'll tag uh, your Instagram. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, uh, my website. So. Yeah, and you have to keep me updated on the book when it comes out and we'll, we'll do a post and possibly another a podcast episode to kind of get that out there and go into a little bit more detail about that. But thank you. Yeah. And I saw you wrote a book. I have to ask you, sorry. Yeah. You no, you're fine. You wrote the book. Is it like the hardest thing you've ever done? Cause I feel like I'm like, what is this process? Like, so the book was something that, okay. So the book I was raised with financial literacy always in the background. And I didn't appreciate that until I went to college and I realized that most people, when I say most majority, a vast majority of people don't know basic financial concepts and much less they don't understand how the stock market works. 
they're not talking about this in their household. Their parents aren't talking to them about finances. They don't know their parents' finances or how much, like what the bills are. Um, so I did, and I talked to people about it. And I had a friend over at, I went to FSU and FAMU's right next to, F, next to FSU. And he came to me, he was like, look, um, I go to school with some of the most brilliant people and a vast majority of my people don't have a financial literacy foundation due to years of systematic racism and just oppression. And I was doing a financial comic strip at the time, I can draw. And he was like, help me write this book. And I, I feel like the people that need to hear it are kids. It's harder to ingrain principles like that into adults. You know, we, we have a t- it's harder for us to learn. So let's do it for kids. And I was like, okay. So he brought me a skeleton, like I think it was five pages. And I, I wrote it not more as me giving myself back to, because to, I'm going to be real with you. I felt guilty. Like I was like, why do I deserve to have this? And then there's people who are twice my age who don't in a marginalized community. So I wrote that book, not expecting it to sell it, but more as like a, I need to do this. And I think we did everything wrong that you could possibly do wrong in publishing a book. It took us two years. Oh, wow, okay. To, to get that thing out and selling. If I could and do it, market over, it it's like Oh yeah. Oh yeah, we did everything wrong. If I could do it over, I would have saved up money and invested money in a good publisher, in a, it, I would have gotten a um, editor. So we were just like doing it ourselves, like I wrote it. And then we were just like reading over it every month. And every time we read over it, we'd find grammatical errors. We'd find structural errors. Um, I would hire an editor and a marketer. Marketer. Right, yeah. Okay, that's the process I'm in right now, but it's like, yeah. <clears throat> it's terrible. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, just finding the time to sit down and write. You gotta, like, I just did put it into my morning routine, but I was curious, like. Join a Facebook, join Facebook groups. Those were really helpful. Well, I was, I was thinking maybe I need to go on like a writing retreat, right? We didn't do that, but I've heard really good things about those. And I could like go on a vacation and maybe I'll write and then. <laughs> no, but, I've, there's, right. there's writing, there's writing retreats specifically for genres. Like where a group of people will go to the same place that are in the same space and they'll like be a creative focus group. I'm going to send you some Facebook groups that were helpful on the back end. We're just, they're just people trying to figure this all out and they're share resources. Okay. All right. Well, I'm sorry for derailing your ending, but I had to know. No, you're fine. You're fine. But I do appreciate you and I would love to help you in that, in that space. But, um, for tonight, I'm going to let you go to bed and I'm going to go pass out and thank you for coming on and let's talk again soon. All right, for sure. Have a good night. Night.